So things are going to be hard in space because not only you're going to be dealing with an enemy that is basically as powerful as two senators from Rhode Island, you're also in space, which is going to be the most hostile environment that you're going to have. And during the arc, you can do things to make the environment less against you. So questions. I'd like to confirm for the audience. Uh, is it more hostile than a bake sale at a private school? It is. Fuck. I don't know. I, ooh. That's impossible. There's no way. Not even going to be other moms there. We don't know that. We, we do not know how many moms are in space. That is the scary part. Oh, fuck. You're right. We don't know that. You're going to have to deal with the moon milfs. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's cut and dry. I mean, everybody carry an extra oxygen tank and hope for the best. We're going to start, well, high above Earth in orbit. A Soyuz spaceship is turning around to meet the rising sun. How is each of you adapting to, well, <laughs> Flying on a spaceship into orbit in spacesuits in space. Did I mention space enough? Berserk here has totally destroyed the armrests of the chair. The absolute terror they are experiencing at the moment. The uh, fact that they're going up at, I don't know how fast the rocket ship goes up, but I know it goes up pretty fast. How was the explosion <laughs> that powers the spaceship? That too, yes. John Doe is fidgeting in his seat slightly more than normal because he cannot nervously eat. So instead, it's just a constant tapping on the armchair. You don't want to eat some cosmonaut baby food? I do think there might be a scene of John Doe just be like, Bordegore, do you have any snacks? Well, do you want some borst paste? I'll wait. Uh, Johnny, by contrast, is actually being bizarrely still and is completely just like almost just uh like staring off into space just generally um i I don't mean like the i mean i guess in this case literally space but also uh just sort of staring off into the middle distance kind of like pensively um for him i think this is less he's not acclimating to the idea of going to space because he's done it before but he is i think the kind of grim reality of what's happening is really starting to grip him and his his struggle here is a lot more internal than just with the with the idea of blasting off to outer space yeah Bordegor spends most of the time talking in Russian with uh, our city and coordinating all the details and the operations running all the protocols making sure everything is right uh, not exactly being a good host and putting you to calm. It's all, well, this is meant to operate by a crew of three peoples, but uh, here I am on my own. I think realistically, if I'm a, like, if he wants the assistance and I'm able to, I'm probably helping out with like some of the basics of flying the ship. I would know how to do that. I, I, I have enough functional experience that I would know what to do as long as I had like some like minor direction of like, hey, make sure you do that. Mm-hmm. And 
You are approaching your destination. You see before anything else dozens of kilometers of solar panels stretched across a main cylinder, mostly bared, where many models could be installed. And you dock there, and after you go to the compression, you are met by an engineering wearing cosmonaut uniform. I'm Anastasia Makarov. Welcome to Vulcan 2. Thank you for your hospitality. We genuinely appreciate it. I realize we're just kind of passing through, but this has been very useful for us, and we appreciate you helping us facilitate it. Just kind of told me about your mission, and she just waves around. The Vulcan is all yours. You have the resources of the biggest factory that humanity has ever devised. I mean, the facility is incredible. Honestly, I'm a little bit lost for words. This is monumental. Well, most of it is in disrepair. The radiation insulation is really not working well, which should not be a problem for you. But uh, between here and the radiation, you're going to get hit on the moon. I would say you can remain here safely for 16 hours. It should give you plenty of time to prepare whatever you need to do. It's kind of amazing that this place is in disrepair. Not good amazing, just amazing. Well, the plan was not to leave it to disrepair. The plan was to hook this up to the Stargate and uh, whenever raw materials came out from Whoever is mined on the other side, it will come here and it will be manufactured into whatever. There was supposed to be more models that will connect here, each of them specializing in the fabrication of something. And finally, by releasing the God of Forge and taking them to the skies, we could free people from the chains of labor. Well, they've achieved post-scarcity. We have to go on and lose the moon war. Did you fight in it? Oh no, it was before my time. Fair enough. But, uh, you know, there was talk about weaponizing my powers, but uh, my my parents, they actually smuggled me into Afghanistan during my teen years, so I escaped that. Well? Well, the facility is yours. Again, we don't have many models. Most of the ones that are still working, it's related to aeronautics and metallurgy. So basically anything to support the the Soviet space program. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that you can design whatever is that you need based on this. I think we'll be able to. Well, thank you kindly. I'm gonna go ahead and get started on making a couple pieces of craft, if that's all right. Go for it. Yeah, Johnny heads over to a I'm assuming like a drafting station and starts drafting probably like a short range craft and a, like a shuttle craft and a lander where, you know, the shuttle craft could get us to the moon and then the, the lander can can drop us there and then get us back up to the shuttle and bring us back here so that we can eventually get back to Earth. That seems important. That does feel important. And yeah, it seems like uh, Anastasia is alone here. You can see a lot of 
robots going around and they seem to have names like Calcaros and Polymetis and Akalakilitus. And uh, yeah, it seems like it's a full robotic staff except for her. And this is gonna work as a montage, but you go because again, because of the difficulty of this arc, you have the opportunity to make two boosts. Also, you are gonna get assistance from um, from the Vulcan 2 on the process as the different drones and different models work to help you. And because we are on green, that will be mean. Okay, so you, for the first round of boosts, you, each of you gets plus two on their preparation. So, which are the different boosts that all of you prepare? John is going to take Berserk here because they're both melee fighters. And learning to melee fight in uh, zero gravity is something that you should practice before the first time you try it. So I'm going to create a boost using my strength, my close combatant in a D6. That's going to represent us having a little bit of tryouts before we get into our first fisticuffs match. I got a six. That's a plus three. All right. Take note of these boosts because you're going to need them later on the future session. In keeping with what John's doing, while I've got some of the robots machining some of the pieces to the shuttle and everything, I am also, uh, I'm refitting all of my guns um, so that they better equip for zero-G environments or low-gravity environments in the way that the rifles we talked about in the last session, I'm kind of like, they are sort of designed off of that, and I'm just sort of adjusting them to make sure that they're going to fire correctly in all of that. I also got a six. What do you want to call your boost? The right tools for the job. Mine's going to be, uh, I'm going to organize the religious symbology that I brought along to basically try and access the spiritual power I rely on, on a place where there's not much spiritual power, at least none that I know of or familiar with. The one I am familiar with, I do not want to access. <laughs> So I'm going to go ahead and do that. Okay, let's roll that. Let's see how. Hey, I one up on both of you with the seven. <laughs> what do you call this one? I'll throw it on the post. Organized fetish. So after your first round, you can hear Bordagor on the communication. Hey, how about you come join us for lunch? For comedic purposes, Bezirkir is trying to swim in this atmosphere rather than push themselves along. For uh, comedic purposes, John Doe is trying to uh, leap and keep slamming into something. Just ow, son of a. You go to a massive mess hall that uh, is empty except for Bordegor and Anastasia. And they seem he's standing in front of uh, a food station. That seems like a combination between a cooker and uh, a table. And all sorts of foods and drinks are all there. And Bordegard does not feel the need to tell this to Highwayman, but turns to the other two. So, food is going to taste bland to you because things, fluids just don't move the same way. So, it's going to mean like when you're eating something and you have a heavy cold. And, uh, you know, your nose is not tasting as well as usual. So you might probably want to season foods more than usual. And he points to salt is like, is 
dissolved in water in the saline, a high concentration saline solution. And there seems to be pepper and paprika, all kinds of different spices that seem to be mixed with oil instead of loose. And then there are different meals ready. So we have cornflakes with sugar already on it. We have chicken and rice. We have bacon paste, this syruparized candy. We have tacos in discs. And we also have surprisingly normal looking, but 24 French fries. Well, what do you recommend? I mean, the French fries, they don't taste as good as they look. It's more a moral thing than anything else that Anastasia suggests. But the tacos are great. They're compressed in small discs. They're like taco beagle. I'm going to try them, but they're going to have a high standard. And then I'll try, I'll do the chicken. Around. I mean, hey, man, you have a better standard of space food because in the moon, you know, you can actually get much better food. Yeah, I think I probably just went right for chicken and rice without really a lot of a lot about it. Or that's just kind of what I what I went straight forward. Uh, but I do think I, he probably even like despite what Anastasia said, I think I did grab some French fries and I'm just kind of wolfing it down. Um, I am probably also like looking at like a notepad or something where I'm like sketching wall and I'm just like, oh, I mean, this is a it's like this. This is pretty solid. You know, it'll it'll get us through to the next part of the work. Thanks. Joachim just grabs whatever like this can't be much worse than their uh, homelands food which is mostly pickled fish or smoked fish or smoked mammoth meat or pickled man it's just a lot of pickles and smoked stuff <laughs> <laughs> oh and salted i have some lime curd for dessert some what lime curd lime curd john doe very calmly waits a second then some what Lime curd. What's a lime curd? You know, it's basically a simulation of lime pie. You cannot have pies here. There's no pies in space? No, the crumbs create a, a risk. They might get sucked into an intake vent or something. Hate it here. Pies easily the number two best dessert on Earth. I haven't had that pie in years. I... I'm sorry. It goes cake, pie, cookies, everything else. Well, I'm gonna go to Caldera, right? There they have, it's basically like Earth. So, do they have artificial gravity on the station or is it just Earth but no gravity? Or do they pump in air and uh, they, uh, what's the term, uh, dirt formed it? So, hi, man, you actually know Caldera station very well. Yep. You know that there was a central command model that basically had magnetized simulation of gravity, like 0.1 Gs. And uh, even the rest of the station, it had like 0.5. And uh, it was powered by, by nuclear power. It had uh, a second generation plutonium reactor. It also had uh, two science stations the sciences outpost Aldrin, which specializes in biology and space medicine, and the science outpost Lovelace, that was specialized in flight systems and engineering. And there was this massive crater that they filled with water. Basically, 
all the water that was captive on a lava tube had been melted and poured there and uh, it generated oxygen to the entire of the station but um, it was not habitable so it was an automated greenhouse but because of the high levels of uh, carbon dioxide that were injected there to speed the plant growth and produce more oxygen it itself was dangerous to human lungs and uh, there were also the engineering sector that uh, at your time during the moon wars, it was the, the initial British and, and the American lunar habitation models that have been refurbished to production. That was how it was when you were there. Um, what I know how that relates to like how people were fed, like I know you said that it was basically the same as Earth. Except animal protein was very rare. It was had basically to be synthesized in lab, sure, or uh, or brought from Earth. But other than that, yeah. I look over at Sean and I'm kind of like, yeah, we were able to um, just based on the kind of the way the station was constructed over at Caldera, there was enough to grow some like produce and stuff like that. So, you know, we were able to have pies. I mean, they were, I would say, not all of them were great. Some of, I mean, you know, it kind of just depended on who was cooking. But uh, yeah, the only and the primary concerns were eggs and butter, which we kind of had to synthesize, and you could always kind of tell uh, that they were artificial. But you know, they did their job. It's certainly better than better than nothing. I mean, forts and storms. Yeah, that was sort of how we felt about it. I think after that, I kind of lay out some of that information that that you just explained, Lou, so that they have a better understanding of how the station functioned. Well. Let's hope it's still functioning exactly like that and just like the refrigerator's broken. You know, I would certainly like to hope that. I would not be surprised if uh, there was some level of degradation that went on there. I mean, if, if this place has not been well upkept, I can't imagine the stations on, on the moon have been as adequately well done. I know that Caldera remained manned to some extent after the war. Seems like the initiative is a little bit less than it seemed like it was at the time. I mean, but they control the Stargate, right? Yeah, in theory. I mean, like, they they do. It's just a matter of how much it actually sees use. Who knows? Maybe they found a spooky ancient moon civilization. There's enough spooky shit up there that I don't think they really needed a moon civilization, if I'm honest. Is lunar madness a thing? Like, I mean, I'm just throwing throwing out ideas here. Um, The answer to that question is more complicated and honestly less comical than than it probably should be. And then Nastasia jumps in. Well, if there are problems in Caldera, you might want to check uh, Korolev Cosmoport and uh, Border Gore signals to you she does not know. So, I mean, Caldera Station was where both ice and lithium was. So, there is a reason when Basically, the Russians and the Americans, they started their uh, permanent habitation on the moon on opposing sides of the crater. And on one side was Caldera Station, well, what would eventually become Caldera Station. And on the other side was the Korolev's Cosmoport. The last days of the moon, Colonel Wax ordered the Korolev Cosmoport to be nuked by a missile that the Americans have brought there. And 
this radiation on the moon without an atmosphere. So anything to block the gamma radiation, it threatened to wipe out most of the life on the moon and to hit the Earth with micrometeorites and probably affect the moon orbit. So something happened on the final ways of the world that prevented this disaster from getting to that degree, but that still destroyed Korolev Cosmoport. Do you know what happened, Herman? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I know what happened. And what happened was that order was given, and in order to... Johnny immediately laid out for Wax why that would be a bad idea and what the fallout and the consequences of that would be. And in doing so, it became an like an inter-unit conflict. And ultimately, Wax used, I think, some of his, his ability to pressure Johnny's friend and squadmate, Arthur Clay, into attempting to launch that nuke. And after a brief struggle, Johnny was able to redirect the missile um, so that it essentially fired downward and still towards the station, but like under the surface of like just barely under the surface of the cold era so that it kind of remained contained enough that it pretty much only hit the or the opposed to the to just hitting everything and and causing the massive fallout that would have been done there. And yeah, it seems like it is. Those events are not public known enough that at least Anastasia here does not seem to know. And I wonder how much you tell your friends. I don't know if I ha like up until now, I definitely have not told them. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I I don't know if I really would have told them any of this. I I certainly don't think I would tell Bordergor and Anastasia any of this because I don't think I want them to know that I was directly involved in the in the destruction of that station. So I might tell the other two later, but I think uh, I kind of wave it off as just saying that it was part of the activity that Carter Wax oversaw in the in the final push of the war. You know, if we're going to run into him, this is arguably one of the better environments to do so. I suppose you're not wrong. Uh, there's a lot less opportunity for collateral damage. Also, unless you're planning on... Uh stripping down to your long johns when we get into the possibly damaged space station uh, we're going to be in a hermetically sealed environment I mean that's true I think I have a, I mean at least for my own kit I think I have enough material here where I can produce ammunition that won't impact on it won't functionally impact very well on inorganic material it will really only really only do damage to organics so as far as conflict with wax goes I'm not particularly worried about breaking the hermetic seal. It is something to consider. It's just, just as well acquainted with the particulars of fighting in a war on the moon as I am, so we won't have any advantage over him just based on the fact that I'm more familiar. That's fair. So, time to second round of boost montages. That's a plus two on your rules. I actually know exactly what uh, John's gonna do again rare moment due to the fact that both him and Yokim again being melee fighters are also struggling in space John is going to invest in effectively a forearm mounted grappling gun for the two of them probably just operating on magnets so that 
A, they can travel easier if there's the gravity's turned off at the station, and B, so they don't go flying off into space if they jump too hard. I made a plus two. Dirk here is like way out of their element here. So the uh, only thing I can think of is going over their memory of, you know, tales told about the moon and all that stuff and, and their, uh, their, where they uh, came from. So, yeah, and just trying to basically think of ways to avoid the evil that they believe is on the moon. We've yet to see it. We've yet to experience it. But Berserker is pretty confident there is some evil on the moon. I mean, especially the way Johnny Jennings described the whole situation. It really feels like uh, that might have amplified the the evils on the moon a little bit. <laughs> That's a plus two. What's its name? Uh, Wolf Dreams of Violence. For mine, I think as much as possible, I am going to try and assemble a full dossier of everything that I can remember about Carter Wax's individual tactics, the assaults he led, if I can find any any footage or just anything about like uh, how he fights and the way he does it. Also, like the ways that his powers work in great detail. I'm going to basically build a little dossier of all that just kind of between working on parts of the of the lander and uh, make sure that my companions are all furnished with that information in great detail so that there is a little bit more of a prepared as to how we're going to fight him. I got a nine, so that one's a plus three. We'll call that one uh, the whites of his eyes. All right. And soon enough, your 16 hours are up and it's longer than you can stay safely on Vulcan 2. So anything else as you get ready to depart? John Doe is going to shake... Anastasia's hand. Just thank you know what? Thank you for being a generous host. We very rarely get that. I no problem. If you need anything, make that head off your return. Just give us a call. Yeah, I'm much obliged. May I offer just a general piece of advice while we're out doing all this? Sure. Wax has gotten fairly unpredictable. I don't know if he's on that station, but just in case, if you're able to lock things down here as tight as possible, might be a good idea. It's just a thought. I mean, his powers don't work with any of, of my co-workers. I don't fear works, but thanks for the warning. I'm less concerned about his powers and more concerned about him having access to artillery and other things that might be able to just full-on attack the place. But, um, you know, just wanted to go ahead and raise it as a concern. Thanks for the hospitality. And Johnny uh, tips his hat and starts to head towards the shuttle. All right. So venture back into the space and you make your moon approach. Where do you land? How far away from Caldera? What is your general approach? Um, I think as we get on the shuttle, I like turn around at the others um, and say, just to be clear, typically... Um, the ideal option, if I was putting a space shuttle together, would involve, you know, like some tests ahead of time, you know, just something to make sure that this like structural integrity is completely sound and everything. I did not have time to do all that, you know, keep a tight grip on stuff and uh, just, you know, stay frosty. I think he as he says it, there's just like the littlest hint of a smile just to kind of indicate that he's messing with them. Lay on, lay on, brave Macduff. We take off to the moon and we land, I would say, probably 
preferably somewhere that's at least far enough away that we would not be as likely to be seen from Caldera. I think that there's only, you know, there's only so much option there. But I would try to make our approach relatively unseen if I can. And I think I would have set us up with a lunar rover and, you know, like spacesuits and everything that we would need there. So as soon as we are touched down, I also uh, have like a locking control that essentially digs the clamps of the of the lander into the ground some to some extent so that it can't get, you know, knocked into space by a, a blast or something. And then I would drop the, the rover and just be like, all right, well, y'all, uh, y'all ready to go sort of out into the unforgiving vacuum of outer space? Ready? No, no. But let's do it anyway. You're not excited about this? It's the final frontier, John. Didn't come on. No, it's not. The, the final frontier is many other places. People have been here. Well, I, just, I mean, you've you've been here. No, I, I, two of us have been here. No, I, I've been here specific. I just meant space sort of in general. Like there's always more frontier in space. Maybe not like here specifically. I feel like here is pretty well sort of mapped out and stuff. You're right about that. But I, you know, broadly speaking. It's the final frontier. Ten bucks is a space monster. Let's go. I'll, you know what? I'll take that bet. Yeah. What do you think it is? See, there's a lot of space monsters. I'd be really, it'd be hard. I want to say like a big squid or something. That's just sort of, it just feels like a safe bet. So I'm, I'm going to feel like it's probably some kind of, some kind of, if it's a space monster, some kind of big squid's probably a good idea. I'm going to say it's a weird robot. Bordergore? Also, I think it's probably more likely to just be a catastrophic malfunction. The Americans are trying to cover up an embarrassment. Ten bucks on catastrophic malfunction. Joachim, you want in on this? I know this place is freaky to you. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it is Hati, the, the wolf that ate the moon. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, ten bucks on a spooky wolf. All right. You say that you want to be heathen? Caldera is pretty close to the terminus, the line between the light and dark side of the... Do you want to try to land in the dark side, even if it's extremely yet impossible, more difficult? Yeah, I probably would. And like, I think my justification for that is because of my like precognitive powers. I think I can probably make it work. It, like, it'll still be more challenging, but I think I would probably have a better grip on that than a lot of people would be able to do. All right. So uh, how about you give me a challenge roll for that and you can uh, apply your principle of the technician. Will do. That's an overcome, right? Yeah. Since it is overcome when you can flash back to how you prepare for this exact situation, I would already have, I think, access to a few pretty well-made maps of the moon and also just some charts on where things are going to be in relation to like, you know, like the dark side, light side component of things. So I would have already kind of run all of the math of that in my head and I would be kind of adjusting it as needed down to fine tuning it so that even though we are in the pitch black, I am kind of running off a of feel right now, but I've got all that working in my head. So that's I know I said precognition. I think honestly, lightning calculator kind of makes more sense here. I so rarely get to roll with deep space knowledge. Wow, I still only rolled a five. There's a minor twist. You run the simulations, you try to find alternatives, but uh, the only way that you can find a safe site on 
The dark side of the moon next to the terminals is on the Kurolev Cosmoport because it is on the dark side. So we'll have to be landing on one of the pads or you can land somewhere else, but uh, you're pretty sure that you're gonna mess up the lander. You're gonna damage the, the lander, so you cannot just take the lander to use it as a way to move around the aerial vehicle on the moon. Or you land on one of the Korolev launch pods, but then you are dropping right in on the irradiated ruins, the cosmopod. So you have these choices. Either lose the aerial mobility and you are moving only with the rover, or you're landing on the irradiated rover. I think I would actually throw that question to the others and to be like, Just listen, they're both bad options, but in order to stay undetected, either we got to land at Korolev, which is going to risk us being exposed to some pretty gnarly radiation, or I'm going to be flying blind and this thing might might take a little a little bit of damage. We got to decide quick. Didn't we suck up a bunch of radiation not long ago? Yeah, that sounds like a bad idea, Vordergaard points out. We should want to at least space out. Yeah. All right, well... I mean, it's not like we can't move fast on our own, even without the dinghy. Yeah, I would say, all right, well, everybody hold on tight. Things are going to get a little rocky, I think. Yeah, I'm not going to land at Korolev. I'm going to I'm gonna risk, risk the damage. Yeah, it is pretty bumpy, and you're pretty sure that you'll wreck it pretty nicely. Yeah, you managed to do your moon landing, and uh, you can eject through the top model back to space but you just cannot move it around you are able to deploy your rover safely well yeah so who's driving the rover John Doe nope (laughs) this is anti-John Doe bias and I hate it listen we only have one functioning vehicle left within access and I'm sure there will be vehicles that John Doe gets to destroy later. I think if I think John moves to drive it and it's just that it's that meme of Johnny just like sort of like taking him by the shoulders and just like stepping in front and just like just shaking his head. Just like, please, please no, not right. Not right now. Uh, what am I going to wreck it into? It's the moon rocks, the ground, lots of rocks. John, you're a very as listen, please understand you are very strong. I don't know how strong. I'm not entirely convinced that you couldn't hurl this thing back towards Earth and have it hit something there. I'm just this is bullshit, but fine. <laughs> Sits down in the look at Toscana and I say, Do you want to drive or do you want me to? Yeah, I can drive. Oh, you'll trust you'll trust the anime grandpa. Okay. I mean, he's been at it for a long time. I think he recognizes that we need this car to stay intact. Well, also, you're going to need probably you for something else. I do have the most sort of range capacity out of all of us. So, yeah, might be best if you go ahead and take the wheel. Well, I was also thinking in terms of, uh, you know, engineering problems. Also a great point. Yes. And and you start driving towards Caldera. And to your left, it is the ruins of the Korolev Cosmoport. And it is haunting a lot of the radiation because there is, you know, no air nor wind other than the solar wind. 
is still lingering there. I have a question about real science. Mm-hmm. Geiger counter doesn't need an atmosphere to work, does it? No. Okay, I have one just so that we can monitor kind of where spikes would be so we can try to steer clear of them. You know, it's still mostly intact because of the way that the bomb was detonated. And there are still many manufacturing and industrial wonders there because, again, they were able to move way, way more heavier payloads than the Americans. And uh, because the central is on the dark side, there is this massive SSPS, this solar space station that stretches lazily towards the, the sun out of the terminus. It's massive. It was what it uses for power. And uh, because it was so far away, and it was technically it was closer to Caldera than to Korolev, it is still mostly intact. And on the way there, the first thing that you see is an ice cistern, the old ice mining complex and the old full refinery built on top of it that uh, is connected to Caldera proper by a long monorail. And then you see Caldera proper. And from the side, you see that there are two new HEV models that have been expanded on it. Also, there is this massive tower that stands against the shadow of the Stargate on the horizon. And you recognize a logo on the tower from Starlink Incorporated, the privatized firm that has the contract for use of the Stargate. And these are the three new additions that you see to Caldera. And you see that power seems to be off on the station. But the only thing that seemed to be blinking, it seemed to be some automated systems that have their own generators. And even the, the nuclear central seemed to be inoperative. Well, that's definitely different from how I remember it. Even though everything's powered down, I would still, I would be ready for anything if I were y'all. Yeah, looks like it's gonna be pretty rough. Yeah. Where do you plan to make your entrance? I would probably be looking for an entry gate that I am familiar with, like anything that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would be looking for something for something familiar as opposed to one of these new areas until I can find some sort of schematic or something that explains sort of what the layout of all of those are. So the M models, they are out of the question because they don't have anything to the outside. So there is the nuclear reactor, the engineering complex next to it. There is a science outpost Aldrin, science outpost Lovelace, hydroponics, and the central command ring. And I guess that you can also try the monorail entrance on the Caldera end rather than the I-Sister end. It'll also be a possible entry point. It's actually, I kind of like that. How do y'all feel about that? Well, where, where was where was the signal coming from? Should investigate there first, uh, or, or are we looking a way in? Looking for a way in. Right, the monorail. Was the signal as specific as to where I could fi- like I could figure out where in the compound it's coming from? I mean, something like that would have to be sent by the, from the Starlink Tower, the Command Center, or maybe Lovelace. 
Yeah, I think we would just take the monorail and probably head for the command center once we're inside. I mean, the monorail is not going to be operating without power. I mean, you mean the monorail station? Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, the am I getting any uh, any nuclear uh, like extremely strong like radiation signals off of the uh, off of the nuclear plant? No, I think. Yeah, my my first probably goal would be to go there and get that started or get the reactor started so that we could have power while we're here since our lander is damaged. I would be thinking about trying to like making sure that we had like a powered place to be so that we can kind of make sure that we have an exit route as much as possible. As you make your approach to the long side towards the nuclear reactor, you see something floating by. There seems to be a spacesuit tied by cabling to one of the basically exhaust rigs that uh, is floating there, that the only the cabling is preventing it to get into the orbit. Do I recognize the suit at all? It does not seem to be oh, one of the American models, at least from your time, but it also does not seem to be one of the Soviet models during the war. Does it appear that there's anybody in it or there's a body in it? I mean, from this far away, you can see that it's probably not only oxygen, but there has to be enough weight because the cable is not that strong that unless there was some weight, it will have just different parts of the suit being dragged. And as you get closer, you can, at the distance from the, through the scopes of your gun, there seems to be something red, more mostly red on the suit's identifying clock. Is it Chinese? Maybe. You know, you can tell that it's not entirely red or something else, but cannot really make it at this distance. Sure. Like, could we safely investigate it? You said it was over an exhaust port. You can pull the cables and basically fish the suit out of from hanging there. Yeah, y'all, I think we should probably. Does that bring it in? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'll bring it in. Yeah, you pull the suit without effort, and it falls with a third. There's clearly a body inside, and as you get closer, you can see that uh, the flag there, it is a full red flag, and then there is on the left side a blue and a white vertical strip. It's a full red flag with a blue and white vertical strip on the right side? Left side. Left side? Not France. It kind of vaguely, for some reason, you say that and like, huh, it's not France, but kind of looks a bit like the French flag. For some reason, it makes you think of that. Not a flag from any country you recognize. Weird. I've got John Doe's, uh, that's not a French flag, but it, it's making my brain think of France. It's from the French colony? Full body red, just few thin lines vertically on the left. Okay. You will not figure it out. John Doe is going to go with that theory. Like, it might be one of the French colonies. They usually have flags that are pretty similar to the, the colonial power. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Baudrillard, do you recognize it? 
I'm not familiar, honestly. No, it, it is from any of the communist republics. Maybe it was, maybe it is a flag from a country that does not exist. You know, like from some revolution against the French. It could be. This is doing on a space. That's where I'm kind of curious. Can we see anything inside, like, the visor of the spacesuit just to, like, do I recognize this person? You load it and you see that uh, it has been a carbonized body as if the entire, like, the oxygen inside the suit was lit. I think I lower the visor back down and I say, I think we should just let him go, Um, you know. At this point, the moon's uh, littered with the dead. I think we should let this one rest. As you do that, parts of it is that seem to fall, and what is left, it's a skeleton. There's something, a skeleton is blackened, and there's also something weird about it, as if uh, the bones, they look like petrified bones. You know, like an ancient fossil. Yeah. Hate that. Uh... Do we know anybody that can do this? Like anybody in your rogues at gallery that can do this? Uh, John? Johnny? Uh, off the top of my head, nothing's ringing a bell. Is it, Lou? No. Yeah, didn't think so. If like a spark or something was to happen inside a spacesuit, that part, yeah, it's all too common. Unfortunately, that was an horrible way to die that a lot of people dying during the moon wars because you know what creates sparks very well? Bullets. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And the thing is, the stone bones? Yeah, that's that's the weird part. I, like, you know people with super dense bones, which maybe it will give them a, an advantage on lunar conflict, and maybe this was one of those supers? But if it was, it's not one of the combatants that you ever knew about. Some amount of increased bone density is not uncommon with super soldier serum, but to this degree, that's a, a little extreme. Yeah, like most, like, I don't think it would turn into rock. I mean, rapid aging, you know, maybe massive oxidation. Yeah, that's, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know. That's uh that's a little worrying. I would be ready for a fight at any point, honestly. Do you stay outside? Do you go inside? Uh, I'll leave it up to them. Well, I'd say we go in. It's just gonna get worse before it gets better. And I feel like that's probably the case. Yeah. You enter inside and you decompress. And it seems like there is minimal power in, but there seems to be oxygen and uh, nothing dangerous in the reactor. So you can leave the bulky spacesuits if you want. Um, yeah, I think we probably would try to like store them somewhere. That just seems. Hold on. I, on one hand, I know that might seem smart, but we don't know if there's any leaks up ahead. And we don't know if whatever this is is going to infest us. Fair point. Well, if it does infest us, uh, I mean, it clearly happened to the guy in the spacesuit. I mean, did we notice any tears on the spacesuit? Did you see any? I didn't see any. 
There were no tears. I didn't see any of it, but all the same. I mean, that's John does make a good point, even if we're not just worried about that problem. But like, it clearly, whatever attacked that person out there clearly went through the spacesuit. It, it provided nothing of protection, but it would provide us. Pro- I don't want to leave the spacesuits too far behind in case there's like some uh, structural integrity problems. Is that what they're called? If something's broken. Yes. If something's broken, I would like to be able to put the suit back on. Yeah, I think that's probably for the best. I mean, I'll take the helmet off, but uh, I'll have it like ready to be put on in a moment's notice. I'm on board with that. Looking like a named space marine. Let's do it. All right. Suit stay on then. Uh, Border guard, as you go around across the empty complex. So I have a question about space marines. Uh, yeah. Do the Kryans come in baby food or do they still eat them by the stick? Um, they actually, uh, you know, it's it's, it's kind of uh, considering sort of the level of military funding. It's it's down to your preference. You have options of both. The stick is definitely more effective, but, you know, some people develop a taste for the baby food. So you make your way to the control tower of uh, the control center of the nuclear reactor and it is a massive reactor, and it seems like it was on the danger of going critical due to being neglected because various inspection shifts seem to have gone missing, and uh, the control systems shut it down uh, rather than risk any kind of meltdown, even other malfunction. Does it look like something I would be able to get operational or would it just go into meltdown immediately? Uh, well, you have no idea. You will have to restart it to know that. Or you, or maybe you called with enough time to figure it out if it's safe or not. Because again, it's a massive complex with a lot of things that can go wrong. Could I start by only rooting power to like the things that we are immediately headed towards instead of just sending it to everything just to kind of cut out some of the possibilities of failure? Yes, but as you try to do that, it requires only the station administration or someone with authority invested by them can do it. And you know enough about Caldera Station that you know that these systems, there are a lot of uh, automated recursions so that uh, people are appointed in case across a, of a line of succession, but also if nobody competent is, these restraints, they are released. So this tells you that uh, if it is specifically saying the station administration, it means that they are still alive and still in the caldera. But then again, why did not they send the distress signal and uh, please did? This more and more seems like it's not just a broken communications array. But the thing is, if you want to turn it on, it's actually simple. You could just turn it on. That actually does not require anything else. It's more the system is on shutdown until someone comes and shakes. It's the current distribution of powers from the stored powers in the batteries that is being put on lockdown. But you can see where the power is being directed to it. And you can see that all the power is being sent to AB Model 3, partially 
to some place called Luna City, which you don't know what it can be. There is no life support on the engineering, which is a bit annoying because you're going to have to cross it to get to the center of the station. Hydroponics has no power. Science Outpost Aldrin has no power. Starlink Control Station has no power. And most of the power seems to be going to Science Outpost Loveless. But this is just how it's set up, right? Like, this is not... Like, there's no power happening right now. Hmm. I don't think I would power it on. I mean, if there's that much of a risk of a meltdown, I think I would... Yeah, you might need a bunch of engineers to be on the spot for everything that's going to go. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to risk that. I explain all of that to the others, and I say I think we should just try to head into the station and just sort of assume we're not going to have access to power. All right. The thing is that is that for the the things that are currently on, there seems to be more than enough power. But the thing is, I say, for some reason, you wanted to bring power to the engineering for manufacturing, or did you want to get the ice refinery extracting water and the full refinery starting to separate water into hydrogen that you could use for, let's say, spaceship pool for evacuation or even to power the monorail that goes to there, then you're going to need to either turn on the, the nuclear station or get power somewhere else. I mean, like, even bearing all that in mind, right now we're still in kind of the opening stages of this. I don't think I can risk immediately having to deal with a meltdown possibility and then not being able to have access to that stuff later. Like, I think I would like the pressure of external threat to be off to some extent if we're going to have to handle that stuff, too. Yeah, I would say the thing that you can prepare with your usual tools is that you can prepare a signal to activate the reactor remotely so that you don't have to come all the way here. Jerry rig something together real quick just to make that easy. Mm -hmm. Did I say Jerry rig? Yeah, Jerry Rig. You know him, Jerry. Jerry Rig. Jerry. Rig it to um, the nuclear reactor. That's a gadgeteer who who fought for the moon war. Jerry Rig. It's a shame what happened to him. Speaking of signal, you're getting uh, a blinking light on one of the consoles that seems to be connected to the different hatches. Seems to blink. As if someone is requesting to access. I kind of cock my head and say, well, that's odd. Is there any way to like, are there any like cameras or anything, anything at all that I could like either try to like observe or communicate with whoever might be trying to access that an intercom system? There is an intercom, but there is only static coming from there. And there is a camera, but it seems like the radiation seems to have boosted it and it has not been replaced. If I try to speak through the intercom, is it just static? Yeah, but you can give them access into the the, the compression area if you want, in case they are, I don't know, in danger of suffocating or something. Yeah. And you want to put them on an area with oxygen, but that still does not give them access to the complex. Yeah, I would do that just in case. I don't know who's in there, just in case it's Breeze. So, yeah, I'll allow access. Mm-hmm. 
at least into the decompression area. Mm-hmm. What part of the complex is this? It's one of the entries near where you came in. Okay. Um, is there any way to kind of view that area from here? No, no. Again, the camera is busted from radiation. Yeah. I tell the others, uh, there's a signal for somebody to request access to decompression down over there. Um, they wouldn't be able to get into the rest of the complex, but just in case that's our person, I think I should probably go ahead and at least let them in there. So unless anybody has any direct objections, I'm going to go ahead and at least get them into the, into the decompression hatch. Make it happen, Captain. All right. And I hit the button. Yeah. And uh, through the static, you can hear movement. But that's it. Huh. I tried to talk to what's ever out there, and it didn't answer. But I do hear noise. You start hearing banging, like a slow tapping. As if they are tapping at the door. Would we be able to get over to the, the interior side of that? Yeah, yeah. I say, I think we should head over that way. And I would go ahead and draw my sidearms and say, I would, I don't know what's out here, but something's off. We need to go give it a look. Let's go. Space monster. Onward. Probably a space monster. I, I still say big robot. Probably a space monster. You go there and through the highly pressurized glass, you can see spacesuit. And a hand literally strike door as I've tried to trying to get attention. I start using some of the sign language that would have been used in my unit, like tactical signals or stuff like that. Is there any recognition of that? No. And as you get closer, you see that spacesuit is like the one the person that you encounter was wearing. In fact, it has the same flag. I think I flash back to what we were just looking at, and I remember the words, the Lunar City, and I turn to the others and I say, y'all, there was, in the reactor, as far as things that were being powered, there was something called the Lunar City. Oh, but it is, I I am understanding that correctly. It means, like, a city, right? You actually don't know what it means to. It's just, like, there is a region that off the, the, the caldera, Station. This is called Luna City. Okay, then just bearing in, I'm going to follow that same train of thought then um, and say to the others, y'all, there's something that the power was directed to called Luna City. L- Luna, Luna Space City or Luna, Luna City one word? Luna Space City. We None of us recognize that flag, right? No. And uh, could be an independence movement for Luna City. I think so. The question is, could be foreign saboteurs, could be space monster just fucking with us. I say we open the door and let him in. <laughs> yeah, we might as well ask him. You know what? In for a penny, in for a pound. Um, I make sure the decompression chamber is sealed correctly, and then I and then I let him in. We'll let him in, and he steps inside and stands still. I immediately uh, have my sidearms not like pointed directly at him, but I have them very visible, and I'm like. Friend, we're going to need to know who you are right away. Sorry to be tense, but it's a bit of a uh, uh, a tense environment. You understand. The spacesuit moves towards one of the computer stations and starts very slowly trying to type something. I, w- I would not. I would not let them. I would not let them do that. 
Uh, if I see them making a move towards the computer stations, I'm going to go ahead and pull and, and like pull my my sidearms out and step between them and that and say, I don't think so. Explain who you are right now or else it's going to be two bullets to the head. That's a promise. Uh, you're doing that to just stay still again. Can we see anything inside the visor? It's lowered. Um, I make a motion towards my visor and just kind of like to indicate, like, open your visor, like show us who you are. The visor opens and you see the carbonized stone skeleton. Crimson Gold Agonies is an associate of Court Games and D20 Radio. Joaquin Jarve, aka Berserkir, is played by Brent Torreson. They can be found at Copper Credit almost everywhere. Check out their other podcasts, Splinters of Jade and L5R Thriller Actual Play. They are available for editing work. Message them for rates. Johnny Jennings, aka The Highwayman, is played by Sam Sedlachter. They can be found at SGCA Delaysec on Instagram and Young Space Dead on Twitter. They are largely impressive. John Doe is played by Bradley Handler. You can follow him at Judge the Barbarian on Twitter or as co-writer on Split Roll, where he screams his opinions at you. Ludo handles the rest. You can find them at The Lettel and more of her stuff as Agonizing Crimson at Itchio or co-writing Split Roll. Citadel Comics RPG is the property of Greater Than Games and designed in collaboration with Critical Hits. Crimson Gold Agonies is possible through the support of listeners like you. You can support us on Patreon or even better, you can review us on iTunes and you can spread the word because there is no better way to get into a podcast just because a friend told us about it.